0: This is Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe, live from the Harvest Garden Festival in Unley Park on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill.
1: Good morning and welcome to Talkback Gardening. I'm not in the studio in Collinswood. I'm in an amazing place. I'm actually in the first school uh, classroom of Scotch College, which is now part of the home of Keith and Glenda Rudkin, who are one of the 12 gardeners, home gardeners involved in the inaugural Harvest Garden Festival. You can join us right now at Nine Bellevue Place in Unley Park. We've got some wonderful people sitting here joining us for the broadcast. You can wander through all of the various different aspects of this garden. John Lamb, isn't it a pleasure to be here?
2: Good morning, Deb. Good morning, gardeners. And not only gardeners at home, gardeners that are already (laughs) here at one of the many locations uh, for the Garden Harvest Festival. And to your question, it's (laughs) awe-inspiring. Yes, you walk through the gate and it's the moment you walk through the gate, you see this is a garden with a difference. And I think probably all of the gardens that people are going to see will be gardens with a bit of difference because they've been selected for that. But it's all about uh, looking and then asking questions, learning about fruit and vegetables, so it's a harvest. And we'll talk to Jamie McIlwain very, very shortly. We'll talk to uh, Alana. Uh, Alana from Oz Harvest. Uh, you spoke to her earlier on the program. And then we'll also take a look at uh, other areas, particularly um, community gardens.
1: And soil with, uh, doctor, uh, with Bianca Warnock, of course, which is fantastic. And um, the important thing is, if you're coming here for free and you've got a bit of spare change, Oz Harvest is the charity partner of this inaugural uh, Harvest Garden Festival, so please do throw some money their way if you possibly can. There is also tea and coffee and cakes available as well for the local hockey club, uh, so lots of great reasons to come here. And if you do buy a ticket for the Harvest Garden Festival, it's four gardens for $20, all 12 gardens for $50, and the funds raised will go to Oz Harvest. Um, and uh, we'd love to hear from you, of course. The phone line, we've got some patient people from all around the state waiting to speak to John Lamb. The phone line is 1300 222 The text line is 0467 Lovely to hear from you with your comments on that. But the man of the hour, who I imagine hasn't had very much sleep, in the last week would have to be Jamie McIlwain. We speak to him a lot as a landscaper. He's been a past winner of the Major Landscapers South Australia Award for Garden Maintenance. He speaks to us regularly. Jamie McElwain, welcome and uh, how are you going? A bit stressed yeah, this week? Yeah, you know,
0: uh, no, <laughs> it's been a busy week but uh, we're here now, Deb. Uh, it's good to see you and John um, and everyone here today at this beautiful garden.
2: Does it live up to your expectation? It's up and running. This is one of 12 and I think suspect that the, what's happening here is being repeated in other places. But the organisation
0: would have been horrendous. It's come together. Is it what you expected? It's all that and more, John, and it has been horrendous. The, uh, the, the common denominator with all the people gardening, opening their gardens this weekend is they're all Amazing, generous people who are happy to share what they've created at home with uh, the garden-loving public of South Australia.
2: Why? Why have we got a harvest festival on vegetables and fruit?
0: Look, it's always been uh, popular to to grow your own, and even more so in recent years, particularly through uh, through COVID. So there's a real there's a real sense of um, you know the importance of growing your own. Um, how easy it can be and how you can dedicate part of or or a large part of your garden, depending on the size of your garden, um, to uh, growing your own, whether it be just uh, some lettuces in a pot or redeveloping a whole part of your garden and and being um, somewhat self-sufficient.
2: Who is your target audience? Who are the people you want to come along to the Harvest Festival?
0: We would love to see everyone come along, but we'd also um, encourage maybe some of the younger people. There's a lot of... um, Along with the the growing your own productive part of it, there's been a real resurgence in people growing indoor plants, and a lot of that demographic are the sort of 20 to 35-year-old people, so they, they, along with all the people who would regularly grow their own stuff, um, might very interested to see how um, how it can be done.
2: So you've got examples. I mean, uh, we're at Rudkins property in Unley Park, which is brilliant, and there's six great big raised garden beds, which is to see uh, and enjoy. But uh, the other concept of little small gardens, uh, do you have uh, little small gardens, uh, mainly container gardens, and where are they and uh, what are, how are they put together?
0: Yeah, so there is... Uh, large gardens and small gardens. We've got a couple of people who are actually renting properties who are opening their gardens up to the uh, to the public. Um, so there is a bit for everyone. Um, and when you say productive gardens, there might be something in that that people might be interested in, whether it be wicking beds, um, uh, uh, irrigation systems like uh, drip line, inline drip systems versus sprays. What sort of soil do you use? Um, how do you construct the beds? What sort, you know? And then. Other things, I know you get a lot of calls about pests um, or even birds and possums invading garden beds. I mean, there's two fan- fantastic examples at Nova Gardens and down at Strathalbyn about how um, these garden owners have made uh, structures around their beds to safeguard what they're growing.
2: Let's change now and take a look at the people that are the sponsors of this program or the charity from this particular program, which of course is Oz Harvest. And Deb, you spoke to uh, Alana Alana Roberts about Oz Harvest itself. So let's take a look at uh, it from a gardening point of view. Alana, welcome to Talk Back Gardening, part of the program. Thank you. Now, there are a lot of gardeners out there that love growing vegetables, fruit, and vegetables, and uh, some of them just keep on growing, and they end up with great big harvests. And uh, what to do with it? Is that a concept, maybe, uh, that uh, you could uh, sort of cash in on the fact that there's all these lovely people growing lots and lots of fruit? Does that fit in with Oz Harvest?
3: Yeah. Well, uh, currently Oz Harvest has four vans on the road in Adelaide, so. We're unable to come and collect everyone's food, sadly, but we do encourage people who are gardening their own fruit and veg to definitely uh, donate it to your local charity if you have surplus. Um, we also have volunteers on site growing our own community garden. We, were, um, we had a very kind donation from Biofilter who donated some wicking beds. Um, so we do have our own volunteers that come and grow really nourishing fruit and veg too. Okay,
2: so you mentioned that uh, uh, you you can't really sort of organise it simply because uh, uh, you don't have the facilities. The charities out there, who are they? And and if people do want to be able to donate their uh, extra pumpkins or (laughs) their basil or rhubarb or whatever it might be, uh, what are the kind of charities and, and how do people get in touch with them?
3: Yeah, so throughout Adelaide we have about 104 charities that we service and donate food to. Um, So if you look up the website Ask Izzy, you can um, put in your postcode and you can see what charities are donating food in your local area and you're more than welcome to get in touch and donate food directly to the charity that... We service.
2: I suspect there are many people out there that have been good gardeners, productive gardeners, and uh, they would like to be able to uh, maybe get back into it. You mentioned volunteers. Could you just explain w- how your volunteer system was and can just uh, uh, somebody who loves growing vegetables get involved?
3: Yeah, we have a very strong Yellow Army force and we are so grateful for people who can donate uh, their most valuable... Uh, the most valuable thing, which is their time to Oz Harvest to help us nourish our country. So if you are a keen gardener, we would love to see you jump on board and help um, grow some nourishing produce that we then use in our programs, we cook meals with that then get distributed to people in need.
1: And although there is a set-up cost to establishing a productive garden, there is also a fantastic benefit to growing your own food, both in terms of cost, because we've spoken so many times, John, about how expensive it is to buy stone fruit, to buy all sorts of vegetables, including tomatoes and basil. Um, So I guess you're trying to encourage people too, if they possibly can, and lots of people in rental accommodation can't do it very easily, but how to also set up their productive garden to help themselves with cost of living.
3: Exactly. The uh, cost of living is rising so much. We've seen a 60% increase in people who are hungry and uh, a lot of these people are actually employed. So a major way to save cost is by growing your own fruit and veg. Um, It's also a great way to fight food waste because if you're the one growing your own produce, you're going to make sure all that love and care you've put into the fruit and veg that it does get consumed and any surplus food, please don't let it go to waste. Be food waste warriors. So whether it is donating it and sharing it with your community, your family and friends, or whether it is dropping it off to a charity Um, we just want to see all food being enjoyed.
1: That's right, apparently there is enough food in the world to feed everybody, it's just that we waste so much of it. Um, Alana just earlier we spoke and you said that for every dollar that's donated for people that walk through the gate here, that go online or that buy a ticket to the um, Harvest Garden Festival one dollar will create two meals for people.
3: That's correct so yeah, every dollar donated today thank you to Jamie and the guys at Open Gardens, Uh, that's two meals that we can deliver to someone in need. Fantastic. Well,
1: thank you for joining us again this morning Alana uh, from Oz Harvest the uh, fa- uh, the charity partner of the uh, Open Gardens SA Harvest Garden Festival. Got a lovely group of people here. Would you like to say hello nice and loudly? Yes, please come and join them. A beautiful audience here at Nine uh, Bellevue Place in Unley Park, if you're at all able to do so. Jamie McIlwain is a man that's put this amazing program together. Jamie, we've got gardens from uh, Beaumont and here in Unley Park all the way through to community gardens at Semaphore, up into the hills and west uh, as well. So you can go online, have a look and decide if you want to see four gardens or all 12 across the weekend and the hours of the normal open gardens hours are they from yeah, 10 until half past half 4 half past 4
0: yeah and, you, and there's uh, at each of the gardens you can um, there's uh, a pay point there as well for cash or card.
1: And they've got a, you've got a lovely little brochure as well, so you can see a picture of all of the gardens with the addresses and find out exactly where you're going. Yes. And tick them off. Jamie, lovely to see you. John, I don't know if you've got any other questions for Jamie, but I know you're a very
2: busy man Just weekend. one more question. <laughs> uh, this business of, of being able to get people who love growing their vegetables and have surpluses and OzHarvest, uh, for various reasons, can't go and pick them up and, and deliver them. Is there some way maybe of, uh, of Oz Harvest, not, not have a Harvest, uh, um, your concepts? Are, uh, how, how do we bring it together, I suppose? Yeah, it's so a really,
0: really good question, John. I think if there's some sort of register there whereby people who do grow their own stuff and, and usually do have surplus um, can get on a register, that they, the people who are, who are receiving the, 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 the produce know that everything's above board, there's no pest or disease issues... And that type of thing. Um, there's also, like I know where I, I am up in the hills, there's uh, Meals on Wheels and The Hut. Um, you can go directly to these pe- these, these places and charities that, that often Oz Harvest actually do supply food to. So there's a lot of local uh, charities around that will receive your food directly, but maybe a register perhaps.
2: Yes. And ideas have legs. And it's a good idea, I think. And uh, the thing is, to get it up and running, needs funds. And maybe that's where governments need to sort of say, I mean, they provide money for sports, for entertainment, uh, perhaps uh, a little bit of money coming towards gardening, and that would be one way that they could help gardening or in gar- the garden industry by uh, uh, helping the distribution of the, uh, and setting up a, a, a network so that you can take advantage of this surplus
0: fruit and vegetable that's been grown. Yeah, totally. I mean, we've, we've started on this at Open Gardens and there's been two years of work and thousands of uh, hours gone into producing this event. Um, and if we can share the knowledge and um, the benefits of what we're doing here, uh, it's going to be a win for everyone
1: wonderful Jamie McIlwain. Congratulations also to Open Gardens SA for the wonderful Harvest Garden Festival. We're all experiencing it for the very first time. Let's hope it becomes one of the wonderful garden institutions that we have here in South Australia. And might we see extended one day into regional South Australia, Jamie? I'm hoping the answer is going to be yes.
0: Yes, where um, there's definitely um, quite a few of the community members who are um, pushing hard to uh, uh, stretch out into the, uh, the country areas.
1: Yep, wonderful. Thank you, Jamie. We'll let him go. He's a very busy man. On the text line, this texter says, When I was renting, I used buckets with a hole drilled in the bottom rather than spending money on a dripper system. $10 for 10 buckets, and when I moved, I took them with me. Well done. We have got, had a couple of callers hanging on the line very patiently, so we'll quickly go to Lincoln in Seaview Downs. Good morning, Lincoln. Good morning. What's your question for John?
2: Well, we have three hoyas growing in pots um, underneath our pergola, and they're quite long, uh, up to five metres
4: long, perhaps, and they're not looking very healthy. One of them has got
2: a lot of leaves missing and no new growth, and the others are looking a bit yellow, and I'm just wondering what we can do about it. They're ageing by the sound of it. Are you feeding them?
4: Not very much, no. They
2: are old, John. They're about 30 years or more old. Uh, And have they been repotted at all? Yes, we repotted them some time ago and they're not pot bound or anything like that. OK, well, that's the important thing. And with Hoyas, you've got to watch it. If uh, They like to be almost a little bit root-bound. But people have their Hoya and they just expect it to live forever and ever, amen. And that doesn't quite work that way because uh, they use up all the nutrients in the container. So I'd suggest that uh, probably a good slow-release fertiliser. Uh, maybe I, I'd start off with a, a liquid organic fertiliser uh, with a little bit of... A seaweed product and just stimulate the little microbes. Uh, I would then be using a slow release fertilizer twice a year. And I think the other thing is to uh, get some good compost and put about two or three, or cup, two centimetres of compost onto the surface. And every time you water it, that walks into it. What you've got to do is stimulate the life in the soil. And if you stimulate the life in the soil, it'll start to uh, look after and stimulate the Hoya.
1: Hope that goes well for you, Lincoln. Live here, we've got Heather from Unley. Heather, you've got some mould on your nectarine tree. Uh,
5: yes, I've got lovely rose garden beds as well, but my nectarine this year has got mould on it. I know nothing can be done this year, but I'd like to know what I do for next year.
2: Deb, can I at this stage introduce...
1: Ah, your surprise (laughs) guest. I was going to introduce him to you. We've been working to make it a surprise for John Lamb. It is a
2: surprise. He's
1: sitting next to me. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Wonderful Brian Moore, who you broadcast with... I'm going to say decades ago. Yes, yes. Oh, yes. with
2: John Fossey was sitting in your seat. Oh yeah, people remember John Fossey.
1: Yes, well, decades and decades ago. And Brian, you worked at the Botanic Gardens. I think you were called Botanic Brian.
2: But yeah, and Julie was it Julie?
4: Julie Julie Payne. That's right. Yes. She was a colleague of mine as well. Yes. So and, you've
1: got two for the price of one now. You've got two talkback <laughs> gardeners. It's as if we're broadcasting 30 years ago. Yes, <laughs>
2: and I, I know. In fact. Yes, and as you came in with that question, I'm thinking, oh, yes, that's interesting. I'll flick this one across to Brian. <laughs> what
4: can yes. you say? It looks like it's got a bit of soft rot in there. It is, yes. And um probably starts off with a bird puncturing the fruit and and then the bacteria and so on get in and... and
2: uh the, the decay. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Well, we've had so much wind and you find the wind is blowing the fruit round and all of a sudden it gets a little puncture. Yeah. So you've got to have a wound in the fruit to start yeah. off with.
5: The birds love
2: them. Can, oh, okay. Oh, well, there we are. They go peck and are, then it falls they, on the are ground. Are they terrors? They, they peck every fruit once oh, instead of having, it's, finishing it's off what they start. It's uh, what yeah. they can do. Yeah, <laughs> it, it really is. And there's a little beetle, a little, little black beetle, um, and it sort of uh, gets flies into the tree, crawls all over the fruit and it's got spores on it and then it flies off to another fruit and then another fruit and it moves the spores around. So um, it's too late to do anything now. Uh, There are chemicals which are available to commercial gardeners but not to home gardeners that are effective. The important thing is in autumn when the leaves are starting to fall down, when about 20% of the leaves have fallen on the ground, spray the tree thoroughly with a copper spray. Liquid copper, by far, it's the most expensive, but by far the most effective. Spray the trees then, and that reduces the carryover from autumn to the next spring. And then in springtime, when the buds are just about to open up, put on another copper spray. So two copper sprays, that reduces the uh, carryover and and the likelihood of the uh, spores getting established. And you'll find that the spores would have set themselves up in springtime, sat there through summer, ho hummets a bit hot to do anything, and when the fruit starts to mature, uh, they start to multiply and cause the problem.
1: Thank you very Thank you. much. I hope Thank that you. helps you out, Heather. We've got yeah. lots of uh, guests lining up to ask questions here live. We've got some on the phone. We're going to hear from Brian Moore as well about the old days. Um, lots to stay tuned for. Dr. Bianca Warnock is going to join us to talk about soil science and community gardens. So special being here this morning, John Lamb. And you've got your old offsider. I'm your new offsider, but your old offsider who shares your expertise in gardening, unlike me, is Brian Moore um, from the Botanic Gardens way back when. so. Tell us some yarns, Brian, about what, what it's like working with John all those years ago.
4: Oh, it was always a lot of fun. You never know what was going to happen next. But um, I guess I was...
1: Nothing's changed there. Nothing's changed. I was a
4: bit nostalgic, actually. <laughs> when, I, when I was working, or oh, when I comes to come in as a guest with John, um, two or 20 or 30 years ago, the Adelaide Botanic Gardens had a, a free service to the public where you could ring up with any garden problem at any time and get some advice, but that seems to have gone by the board now. Everyone's sort of commercialised everything. It's it's a great shame, I think.
2: It's a a pity, yes. The Department of Agriculture used to have an information service too. Bruce Bruce Morfitt used to be the person who was in charge of that. that Broccoli Bruce. Broccoli Bruce used to be part of the program. (laughs) 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 So what are you doing with yourself now? I mean, you're old enough to sort of not do anything, I suppose. Oh, look, I'm blissfully retired.
4: I'm Uh, I'm a sort of bit of acreage up at Norton Summit and... Uh, Put around the place and feed an ancient horse, and well, lots we, of we could rope
2: you up again and talk about gardening.
1: <laughs> there could, you go. Uh, you've uh, stepped up now, <laughs> so we'll have you back. So you've got two for the price of one, Mel from Pasadena. You've got uh, John Lamb, of course, and Brian Moore. Now, you want to talk about your salon climbing spinach? That's correct. Uh, more more a
5: statement than a question. There is uh, until this morning. There, Keith is the only one that I know that. Uh, has got this climbing spinach and knows what I'm talking about as well too. Um, well, tell us about it. What, is it. Is it a good one to cook with? We, we are renters for starters and find it very, very easy for the garden, to, for our veggie garden, yeah, in a pot with just a small trellis up to the fence and uh, lots and lots and lots of uh, use for it there in either salads or cooking
2: Okay, the leaf structure. Could you, are they big leaves or little small leaves? and uh, uh, What do they the taste
0: limbs,
2: like? Uh, There's no point in d- demonstrating. People right. can't, <laughs> can't hear that. <laughs>
5: uh, they come up to about four inches in diameter, slightly yes. thicker than normal uh, spinach. Yes. Uh, and we've been able to use them there in cooking and in salads as well too. So what my partner does is spinach, a layer of normal spinach, a layer of the... Uh, climbing spinach, the halibar, as they call it, and then parsley, and I'm lucky to have Chinese chives as well too, and wrap the whole lot together and slice it through, and uh, it's a good basis of a good salad. But uh, uh, I just find it funny that all of my friends and all of my relatives there have never heard of it there. So uh, um,
2: where do you find it, I suppose? It may be online. Bunnings have
5: got the seeds for it. Okay, well, there we are. It also
2: uh, propagates from cuttings
4: very easily too. You can put pieces in the ground as long as you've got a node in the soil and something that will grow well.
1: Well, Mel, thank you for educating us on salon spinach because um, that is a new one. And Keith Rudkin here, the garden of Keith and Glenda Rudkin, is where we are broadcasting from this morning. Uh, Let's speak to Lynn in Walkerville, who's been on the line for a while. Now, your hibiscus flowers are dropping off, Lynn. I've
5: got a Rio hibiscus. I've had it for about three years and it's normally covered in flowers. And this year I've got hundreds of buds. But the flowers, they're dropping off before the flowers
2: come out. And you want a miracle cure, I suspect, there, Lynn. Well,
5: I'd like a little little bit of a cure. Maybe not a miracle, Uh,
2: but... I don't suppose you happen to subscribe to the Good Gardening newsletter.
5: I do indeed. I see it, read it every
2: week. Okay, well, read read the first story about why tomatoes are not uh, ripening and why they're slow to grow. It's all to do with the season and the fact that. Uh, and and it, it's, it's strange. If you look at average temperatures, you know, our temperatures each month were, you know, around about average, but it is the number of cool days we had. And in particular, uh, it was very, very cloudy during November and December. And it's the lack of sunshine. Those two factors uh, have combined. And uh, certainly from a tomato point of view, people have got their tomatoes and they've flowered, but they are uh, not setting. Or if they do set, the fruit's growing slowly, and then it won't ripen. And it's all to do with our weather. Uh, would you care to do a PS on that one, Brian, Moore? Well, yes, I agree with you,
4: John. There has been a... Uh, long extended winter. We sort of stumbled from winter into summer. There's no
2: spring, is there? Mm. Yes, and I think it's for what we're about to receive next year. Um, the climatologists are saying it's going to whip round from La Nina to El Nina. But I'm uh. putting my faith on uh, climatologist Darren Ray. He's saying that next year is not going to be too horrible. It'll be the year after. And I think uh, people need to be well aware of that. We've been lucky. The last three years we've had very, very mild summers, great for growing fruit and veggie. And now is the time to think about how you're going to protect your crops from heat waves, not heat spikes that we've been having. Now is the time to think about shade cloth. And I'm going to be... Coming back to that often, Deb, because I think Mm. there's a need to it. And again, I'll repeat, it's time my colleagues came on board and started to realise that if we're to continue gardening fruit and vegetables in hot, hot heat wave times if we understand the importance of shade cloth of reducing the temperature. It reduces the temperature ten or fifteen degrees. Most significant. And you can continue to grow your fruit and your vegetables with your shade. And we'll talk more about how you do it and why you should do it in other programs.
1: Absolutely. Well thanks for the call Dorothy. Appreciate that. Live we've got B from Know the Gardens. Now B You would like some raised garden beds, but you don't want them in one spot. No, I don't. I'm looking for mobile garden beds. I've
6: seen really lovely ones at the Diggers Club at the Botanical Gardens, but they all seem to come from Victoria. I can't find any in Adelaide.
1: So you want the ones where they've got casters on the bottom and you can move it around your garden. Or if you've got a courtyard garden and you want to move it with the sun, um, which is really important, of course, in the growing cycle. Does anyone know if we've got some... Now we've got... We may as well introduce (laughs) another guest here, um, but we're going to need the microphone back for that. Thanks, B. Um, Now, our next guest joining us will be talking more about soil science and community gardens is Dr. Bianca Warnock. Bianca, welcome. Now, you said you do know that that we produce them here in South Australia.
6: Yes, we do. Um, My experience has been with a place that has actually at the moment closed, but I do understand they are reopening when they resettle and they are moving to Mount Barker. That was the Port Adelaide Food Group or uh, club. I can't remember now. Um, They were out at the... People's Market on um, Hart Street, and they made them out of old pallets. They were wicking beds, they were mobile. So that was one option. There is an option, I believe, at the Windmill Salvage Centre in the hills, and they are also producing them out of um, old pallets, and they are, I believe, also mobile, but if they're not, I believe they can be done. The alternative is become handy and do it, um, but basically anything that you can establish with casters on the bottom, you can make it mobile.
2: Yes, you can buy little casters, little uh, uh, trolleys, aren't they? Dolly, Dollies, I think they call them. Yeah. Uh, they're just a, a platform with little casters underneath it and you plonk your things on that uh, and they're ideal. If you've got a little patio or something like that um, and you've got your pot plants on them and... Uh, uh, You've got a hot day, it's very easy just to sort of push them out of the sun and into the shade, or if you've got your tomatoes and things like that. But I I think I've just made a little note, mobile gardens, there's a need for mobile gardens and I think I might go exploring and find out. And I think you might find that there are um, some of the hardware type uh, places, particularly not the the ones with green sheds, the ones with other coloured sheds, um, they are very much into that kind of product. So I might go exploring and just seeing what's available for you. So stay tuned to talk about
1: gardening. Great question, B. We will follow it up, so keep listening. Uh, from 8.30 every Saturday morning that will be uh, given a Guernsey by us on Talk About Gardening. John loves to have little projects to go off and research, don't you, John? You've met oh, some amazing people. I've got to have something people. to do. <laughs> <laughs> you are always flat out. We've also got a special guest, Brian Moore, who was a surprise guest for John Land. They broadcast together over 30 years ago. We've now got Dr. Bianca Warnock with us. We'll just take a couple of calls before we find out what Bianca is doing. Mario is in Fulham Gardens. Mario, you would like to prune your nectarine tree soon.
2: Yes, it's about four and a half metres high and the main trunk is about a foot in diameter. So it's got two big. So I want to throw it back to about three metres or so. But the problem is 95% of the foliage and branches is all above that cutting line. So if I do cut it back, will it grow shoots down lower or do I just need to pull out the whole tree? Brian Moore, would you care to comment on that one? Yeah. Are
4: you into summer uh... pruning? It's tricky. There, there will be a number of dormant buds further back on the on the tree. Um, the trouble is, if you cut it back very hard, that that ensuing year is going to be mostly foliage growth, and you won't be getting any fruit for in a year or two. Um, however, uh, I'd say.
2: Yeah, yeah, now's uh, a good time, I think. Now's a good time, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, you just need to watch the, the sun, but I, mean, I, mean, I don't think that's going to be too much of a problem for the rest of the season. But uh, um, if you get into the habit of summer pruning rather than hard pruning in winter, uh, then that reduces the vigour. The, the trees just uh, uh, respond by not growing so vigorously if you prune them in the summer. Uh, but as, as uh, Brian mentioned, uh, you can't have a, uh, you can't have your cake and eat it too because if you cut back hard you're going to get new growth and it's how do you then treat that new growth and then I think uh, cutting back hard probably around about now gets strong new growth and uh, if you can, if it's strong enough, that probably in winter, you do your winter pruning and see if you can't sort of look for fruit buds, identify which are the fruit buds and cut back just above the fruit buds. Yeah, very tricky, actually, because the
4: growth is going to be vigorous. Um, you could pinch out the tips of those uh, long shoots that come after a big, heavy prune and um, help uh-huh. to keep the tree more compact. Yes,
2: Yes, absolutely.
1: (laughs) Fantastic. Well, I hope that helps you, Mario. Thank you very much for the call. Angie in Eden Hills. Well, we need Keith Rudkin here, really, because your question is how to raise rhubarb. Good morning, Angie.
6: Um, I have raised beds in my veggie patch, and I have a prolific rhubarb, which has done very well over the last few years. But the soil level has sunk quite a bit, and I don't know how to lift it without killing it.
2: Oh, okay. So as it sinks, the rhubarb is sinking at the same time. Yes. Yeah, that's a bit of a problem. <clears throat> Keith brings in and, and uh, uh, in early in, in springtime, he gets in his mixture of compost and materials and things like that, and uh, he just puts that. Uh, onto his beds, so he builds the beds up. But if you do that to rhubarb, uh, you'll lose it very, very quickly because rhubarb has got a a crown which is very close to the surface and its Achilles heel are wet feet. So if you put the uh, mulch round it... I think you've got no alternative but to dig and lift and replace. And probably the best time to do that is early, very early next spring or maybe even late winter, depending on... Just watch it and you'll find that uh, the crown is sending up new growth. And at that stage, if you come out probably uh, 30 centimetres from the crown and go down 30 centimetres... And try and lift it up so that the root system doesn't crumble away. And if you can lift it up without disturbing the root system, uh, it probably will hardly miss a beat. But even so, if you lift it then and it does crumble a bit, it'll recover, but if your root system gets disturbed you'll need to cut back most of the leaves. In fact, even if you were doing that, Brian, I think would be a good idea if you're going to move a, a rhubarb, remove the leaves anyway because they've
4: got those great big leaves and they're going to transpire. Yes, is- yes, balance it up a bit because not. Uh, it'll lose too much moisture if the root system is disturbed in that way. But it, it, they'll certainly survive it. You can even dig it out, plonk it aside, build your bed up and put it back in. It's, uh,
2: plants are pretty hardy as long as they're not... I'm not doing it when the roots are dry. Yes, I'm fascinated with Keith Rudkin's uh, raised garden bed, and he's got a lot of rhubarb there, but mm. he had his big rhubarb, uh, and it, it, it died. And we were talking about that, and I suspect it was wet feet. Um, he's got a very, very uh, organic... Uh, lots of humus in, in his mix, and I suspect it holds probably more water than probably uh, is needed... And so there's the rhubarb and the water is wicking up underneath it and rotting off uh, the bottom half of the root system. And then along comes a warm day and the plant can't uh, transpire. And so it, it sort of gives up the toes. Yes, it's largely the lack of
4: oxygen in the soil that need to sort of breathe a bit down there too. Yes. Yeah, air is
2: just as important as the
1: water, mm, isn't Yeah, it? sure. Angie, I hope that goes well for you. Sue is here from Seacliff. Nice to see you, Sue. Now, you've got a yellowing Geraldton wax. I love <coughs> Geraldton wax. Yes, thank you. Um, yes, I've got two Geraldton wax um, bushes and um, unfortunately they are in a bit of clay soil and I've added gypsum. I've tried to add a bit of sulphur, tried all sorts of different things, but I haven't had much success in terms of making them. They've very, gone very yellow. Uh, well, is, it, is
4: it the new growth that's yellow, is it?
1: Uh, no, the, whole, whole, oh, the tree, whole thing. yeah. So yeah. when they were very, when they were very young, it, it was quite green. But as they got bigger, they became more and more yellow. And um, so I just wondered if you had any ideas of what I could do to help.
2: What do you think there, Brian? It's a tricky one. You're a sea cliff,
1: did you yes, say? Yes, that's correct.
2: Yeah. It would have to be... Um, The calcium or the pH of the soil would be a a major factor. The fact that all the leaves are affected. um, The quickest way to find out is an iron uh, uh, chelate, uh, is an iron deficiency, and what happens is the soil is very alkaline and the iron can't be taken up by the plant. Iron doesn't move round in the plant very, very much. And if you've got a very severe problem, um, then young growth sort of goes and then the older growth grows. So get some iron chelates and spray it. And yeah. if you've got a number of plants? Add two. Right. Spray one and not the other and see mm-hmm. what happens. Mm-hmm. And you'll find that after about two weeks after spraying, uh, if this uh, it starts to green up, then that's the problem and you know the answer and I'd put on a second application a couple of weeks after the first one and then maybe come back to the other one and say, righto, it's your turn. Mm. No point in putting iron, iron chelates in the soil if you've got alkaline soil, mm. because it just gets tied up. Okay. And because iron doesn't move around in the plant, mm. if you've got new growth, you've got to spray the new growth. Mm. Otherwise, the iron can't get fast enough from the old growth to the new growth, and so it goes yellow.
1: Well, that, that's a perfect lead into our next guest in just a moment. It's all about soil science. Thank you very much, Thank Sue. Thank um, And we are going to speak to Dr Bianca Warnock in just a moment. I can tell you quite confidently that mobile garden beds and wicking beds are definitely available. Thank you to everybody who's sent through a text on 0467 891. We can follow up some of these, John, and make sure that you know that they are out there. But as one of the texters says, you do need to make sure that they are... Are very very sturdy because you can't just get the cheap casters and the cheap trays because of course there's going to be all the soil and all of the weight of water of a well of its a wicking bed so thank you for all of those. Uh, Dr. Bianca Warnock is up next if you'd like to come along 9 Bellevue Place Unley Park is where we are isn't it manic behind the scenes? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to take photographs, we're trying to tweet, we're trying to get guests in and out. If you'd like to see how mad radio actually is, dep- and very different to how it sounds, come along and join us. Love to see you here. We've got a big audience. Say hello. Yep,
3: everybody's here. Thanks for coming along.
0: You're listening to Deb Tribe, live from the Harvest Garden Festival in Unley Park on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill.
1: We are broadcasting live from the garden of Keith and Glenda Rudkin. It is one of the 12 involved in the inaugural Harvest Garden Festival. So great for uh, ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill to be involved in the very first of these wonderful festivals. It involves 12 different gardens and one of them... Two of them are community gardens, one in the hills in Strathalbyn, and one is the Semaphore Park Community Garden. And a very active member of that garden is Dr. Bianca Warnock. Bianca, welcome. Thank you very much. Now you aren't just an active community garden member, you've got a, a really big history in plant science, haven't you? Tell us all about it.
6: So I'm a plant scientist and my history was looking at increasing iron in rice. Uh, for human consumption, and in doing so, it, un- it helped me understand the unlocking of iron in the soil. So it was fascinating oh, to talk fascinating, about that yes. right now. Um, and I became a science communicator, and then now I've actually kind of stopped doing the communications officially, but I love talking. So yes,
2: but you'll be giving a lecture in, on uh, soil and uh, what goes on in the soil in... in which particular garden will you be
6: at? I'll be at the Semaphore Park Community Garden tomorrow. Oh, you'll
2: be home. I'll be home. <laughs> what time, time
6: is mine? that? I think I'm speaking at one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'll be after um, Dr. Uh, Katia Hondo, who's talking Katia, about the... Yes. 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 yes, I
2: tried to get Katia on today's program, but she's coming back from, uh, flying back from Kangaroo Island, so if you're tuned in, Katia, good morning to you, <laughs> and I'll get you some other time. <laughs>
6: yep, yep. So um, we'll have a bee conversation, and then I'm there about the soils and walking through our gardens and more. All
2: right, well, let's stay with uh, uh, community gardens. And my observation is that gardeners come in all shapes and sizes. So what kind of a gardener wants to get involved with a community garden?
6: The diversity is very extensive. So I find that in our community garden, it's many people from many cultures... It's many people of different ages. It's many people in different professional settings and times of their career. Uh, It's young families like myself. Uh, And it's people who have had extensive gardens, have extensive gardens, live in rentals and don't have the space, don't have the confidence to grow a garden and haven't had the experience and they want to come through and try their hand with... a community who can help them learn um, and it's a space for people to mingle so we even have at our garden a mosaics group.
2: Just share information yeah. and, and Talk to somebody, yes, and there are so many people that would love to have uh, uh, to be able to talk about gardening. You, you go somewhere and, and you're not allowed to talk about gardening because then nobody else understands what you're talking about. But where you've got a community garden and everybody is gar- a gardener, you can have a lovely conversation, I suspect.
6: And being amongst like-minded people is very encouraging. And it is also, I find in our garden as well, no one is an expert and no one makes uh, you feel uncomfortable for having made a mistake. Uh, It's very, uh, we're here to learn. And so if you are not an experienced gardener and you wish to come through and try your hand at rhubarbing or um, a wicking bed and you'd never done one before, there's people around you who are in the same position and willing to give it a go and learn and experiment.
2: The community garden. People say, yeah, I understand that word. Um, and, And you're saying that But all kind of people belong to a community garden. But what do you actually do? How is it structured so that you become part of a community garden?
6: Our garden is structured in a way where if you live in the surrounding suburb you can enroll to be a member you pay a membership it's not very expensive it starts as low as $10 for the whole year and you can have therefore access to one whole side of our community garden and that side is open to everyone who is a member and you can come through you can plant anything you wish you can Pick anything you wish on that side, uh, as so long as you come to three working bees um, a year.
2: Yeah, so that's a real community garden.
6: That's right. And then if you pay extra, you can have a wicking bed on the other side of the garden and that's your private bed and you are Uh entitled to whatever you grow in that space. You don't harvest from the other beds. But, of course, we're all leaving buckets of, I've grown too many
1: tomatoes. Please
6: take (laughs)
2: them. There it is again, yes. Okay. so that's marvellous. You can either join in or if you want to, you want to grow your own. Um, that would be brilliant.
6: Yeah, I find, for me personally, my experience is, sure, I'm a plant scientist, but I started out as a black-thumbed scientist. Um, I was very, very good at killing plants. Me too. Yeah. And so what I um, discovered was I learnt by experimenting. You know, being a scientist, that's favourable. But I also have young children who don't like to follow the rules of gardening and they wish to plant whatever they can and it, go, it lands wherever they've thrown it and so on and so forth. So for me, Yeah, <laughs> so it was best for me to have a wicking bed because then I was free to let them explore our space without harming anyone else's veggies. And, yes, yeah.
2: and I mean, you're giving a lecture on soils and I suppose apart from being involved in either the community section or having your own little private garden, um, there are other things such as uh, learning about compost and worms and, and uh, what kind of talks and lectures do you uh, or would you would you expect from a community garden group?
6: It depends We're, whilst we've been around for a while we haven't had our own uh, lectures series for a while, so I guess COVID kind of put a spin on all of that. So we've never really recovered and had lectures. But one thing that we do hope to do is more of the worm farming and composting because that's a big part of our space. We try to be extremely sustainable in our space. We've also got someone who has um, a little too much time on his hands and is (laughs) bored. And so he's been um, going and collecting old solar panels and creating us our own solar energy uh, reuse station. To power our mulcher and our lights and our irrigation system.
2: Ah, so you add a new dimension onto yep. the community gardens. Yep. You don't so they just have to be gardening. Mum wants to garden, but he doesn't, so uh, uh, he can sort of do other things, maybe.
6: Exactly. Um, I'm responsible at our garden for our worm farm. So, and every time we have the working bee, you just watch all the parents and grandparents who've got the kiddies on the day. They just oh, go to Dr. Boyanka. She'll 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 watch you with the wormies, and you'll watch children go ew, yuck the worms and then all of a sudden 50 children are running around with worms in their hands (laughs) and it's
1: it's awesome That is just so wonderful. So how many people are involved in your particular community garden, Bianca?
6: Current enrolment looks like it's uh, over 45 people. And that's including the fact that some of those are families. So myself, you know, example. Um, And it's growing all the time. We just had a new member sign up last week. Uh, And the irony is this person's been in the community for over 16 years, walked past every day taking her kids to school and never really thought, oh... I don't think I can join that. And then somehow she's just like, I'm going to walk past and ask. And now she's a member. It was that quick. So if you know that you've got a community garden or you want to find out if you've got one, quite often your councils will list Mm. where you can access a community garden.
2: Just one final comment, if I may. It worries me that garden clubs, one by one, are dying. Our community gardens the alternative and will replace the need for sharing of information. People go to garden clubs to to, to learn about uh, gladioli or begonias or ferns or whatever it might be. Uh, could it be that community gardens are just going to replace the garden clubs?
6: I don't know that I can see into the future that well. Um, but I would like to say that community gardens have been around for a while but they are more, um, I I believe they're becoming more stable in Australia. You know, a lot of people I'm sure in the audience today uh, are from the UK and have an understanding of allotments and how hard it is to get an allotment, Uh, whereas here in uh, South Australia, you know, we're on Garner land, so we've got access to some beautiful different soils that grow different things, and we could put the wicking beds with our different soils to help it, you know, different plants. And it means that we've got more access, I believe. And when we've got uh, councils, sorry, for example, my council, the city of Charles Sturt, they are funding these community gardens and a new one's popping up every couple of months. And there's more than one. Oh, there's about eight that the City of Charleston okay. sponsor yeah. in our area. So um, it's. It, I would be highly surprised if you can't find one.
2: OK, that well, I just great, one yeah. little tilt. I like tilting while I'm at OB's, Deb. Literally
1: and metaphorically, swaying.
2: Yeah, I just sort of think, wonderful opportunity. I mean, most of the community gardens are uh, organised and, and paid for and funded by local councils. But behind that, governments, if you're looking to focus, focus on local councils and their need for community gardens.
1: Yes, that's right. Right, maybe less less playground refurbishments. I, see, I think I see one of my local uh, playgrounds has been refurbished five or six times since my daughter was born, which is only a dozen years ago. So community gardens are definitely part of our big community future. And it's not just about learning about gardens, it's the social aspect as well. You can catch Bianca's talk tomorrow at one o'clock at the Semaphore Park Community Garden about soils and the science behind the foundation of a strong veggie patch. Let's thank Bianca. Thanks for coming along. Um, lovely to talk to you. Faye joins us from Westbourne Park. We're going to catch a couple of calls if we can before Talkback gardening's over. Now you've got a question about Mariah's mandevilla. Yes, um, thank you Deb and John for this wonderful morning. Um, I want to grow a hedge on the south side of the house to about a metre. Would morayas be suitable? It gets um, very little sun in winter, but a lot of sun in summer.
2: Morayas are very versatile and so they'll grow in full sun, don't mind how hot it is, and they will grow in almost, uh, I won't say no uh, light, but uh, certainly they'll take uh, full shade. Uh, they'll just grow far more slowly and just be aware that they won't need nearly as much water, so don't drown them. uh, They don't like wet feet, but on the other hand, uh, uh, yeah, that'd be an absolute ideal plant.
1: Thank you. Thank Thank you. Thank you very much. Lovely to see you Faye. Joy is from Glenside. Now I've seen some sunflowers growing around you have got a sunflower in your hand. Can I get a photograph of, of you and that while you are asking that question? That is the most amazing sunflower I've ever seen, Joy. Thank you,
5: Deb
6: and John. It's the second flower on an only bush that I bought a little plant three months ago. My first one was larger than this flower, and I just want to know when I dry it, will those seeds propagate next year?
2: That'll be interesting. It depends on who their parents were, um, and you won't know that. Uh, It's brilliant to see a flower like that. I haven't seen one as as big as that. And uh, um, what happens is uh, the the breeders get... uh, this particular variety and that particular variety and put it together, and lo and behold, it's up a great big one. Now, you might find that uh, if it is a hybrid, and I suspect it is, it'll go back to one of those parents, and you might find that uh, a certain percentage will come true and a certain percentage will be this parent and the other percentage will be that parent, so it makes a lot of fun. Um, You might try propagating them, uh, do you like? Are you uh, into, into growing your own plants at all and taking
6: cuttings? And oh, stuff? I certainly
2: am. Oh, okay, righto. <laughs> well, at uh, around about now, you'll find, if you can get, uh, say, uh, some of the sections, some of the root s- systems, a new growth. And, and I would actually be putting it into a potting mix, keep it on the dry side, because they're, or they're likely more likely to be an annual than a perennial, uh, getting them to survive. But if you can get them at the right stage of growing... Uh, you might be able to strike that one or ha- take a number of cuttings, so, uh, and, and just watch out that the cuttings don 't get too wet during winter you need to keep it very much on the dry side without drying out and uh, it, it 's a kind of thing where i 'd have a go at
6: that <laughs> well it hasn 't been fed it 's just been watered and well, so, wow. there's yes. about ten buds on the plant.
1: It is stunning. I hope you don't mind, Joy, but you and your sunflower are on Twitter. So if you would like to see the flower that we are looking at, uh, find at ABC uh, Adelaide and you'll be able to see that absolutely gorgeous sunflower. I
6: researched it and it's teddy bear sunflower.
2: Teddy bear. Okay, righto. Absolutely gorgeous. Well, I suspect you can buy them online anyway. They buy the seed online, so uh, uh, if you buy a packet, you've got probably lots and lots of plants.
1: We are almost out of time for Talkback Gardening this morning. Brian Moore, our surprise guest for John Lamb. They used to broadcast together (laughs) thirty years (laughs) ago. Thanks for joining us and being a special um, Talkback Gardener this morning as well, John Lamb. Keith and Glenda Rudkin have got a beautiful home here. It is part of the uh, inaugural Harvest. Garden Festival for the Open Gardens SA uh, 2023 program. We're here at the first one. It's stunning. If you get here before 11, it's free. You can give a donation to Oz Harvest, uh, but we would love you to be a part of the program anyway.
2: Yes, and just keep in mind that we're in for some hot weather towards the end of the week. If you're planting now, make sure you protect your plants because we're going to get a little heat spike. But Come and enjoy the uh, Harvest Garden Festival. You'll learn a lot. You'll share your own information. And I'll say until next week, good gardening.